Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Not Defined by Endo with me, Teniola. I have been on a mission, a mission to find and amplify the voices of amazing people who have founded health-focused businesses, services, or not-for-profit organizations. These people are working really hard to make a positive difference in the lives of people battling different kinds of health issues or those just wanting to make better decisions regarding their health. Why am I doing this? Well, I'll tell you why. Living with illness is so difficult. Sometimes, no, most times, it consumes and overwhelms us. It takes over our lives until we feel like there is nothing left to enjoy. So I decided that this season of the podcast would focus on people doing something good for health. Many of these founders discovered strength from their own personal lives and stories and are making such a great impact. I wanted to speak to them, understand their motivations and get excited by what they have to offer. So join me on this journey and let's meet these inspirational people together. Today's episode is with Manju Bangalore, the founder and executive director of Operation Period, a grassroots, youth-led, non-profit dedicated to creating a world where menstruation holds no one back. They fight for menstrual freedom through art, advocacy, education, community engagement and direct aid. Manju started this organisation after experiencing severe period pains and encountering those who could not even afford their menstrual products. Join the conversation today as Manju and Teniola discuss what Operation Period is doing to make a difference in the world of those who bleed. So thank you so much for coming on the show with me today, Manju. I'm so glad to have you today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Um, I think it's been amazing reaching out to people and you know, getting to know what things and what services or products that people like you are um, providing to people, um, especially women in the world, regardless of where they are. And I think the first thing I want to ask you is like, can you tell us a bit more about who you are and what kind of led you into this path of um, founding and running Operation Period? Yeah, so... um... I'm Manju Bangalore. Um, my background's actually in physics and math. Um, and while I was in my undergrad, I worked at NASA and in the Obama White House. Um, and my freshman year of college, I was having a pretty bad period, um, lots of cramps and stuff. And I was complaining to my mom and I kind of just stopped myself. She gave me a look and I kind of just stopped myself. And I was like, hold up. I have a roof over my head. I have Midol, I have a heating pad, like this could be a lot worse. Like obviously my pain isn't invalid, but this could be a lot worse. And it was raining outside and I kind of just looked and I was like, what if I was on the other side of this wall? And it was pouring rain on me while I was experiencing these cramps. And, um, you know, privilege is weird and you don't, it takes time for you to realize that um, the opportunities you've had, other people have not had. And uh, so I started doing research on uh, what periods are like for people who are homeless or unhoused. And um, there weren't a whole lot of resources that were dedicated specifically to periods and menstrual health. So um, 
I got together with a few other people and we started a nonprofit. Um, uh, they were supportive and I was like the founder, if that makes sense. And uh, it was, it's been great. We are a menstrual health nonprofit um, specifically dedicated to menstrual freedom, which I'm happy to get into a little bit later. And we do five things. We do art, advocacy, education, community engagement, and direct aid. Wow, that's amazing. I think what you what you mentioned earlier about, you know, experiencing some pain, some discomfort, and then thinking about how other people have it worse than you is so important because for so I have endometriosis and a lot of people in my community do have that as well and I've realized that many of us are always trying so hard to help other people which is really strange because we're like in pain and all of that but I think it sometimes some part of your pain actually helps you you know think outside of how you're feeling and say actually there's so many people feeling this way or worse and I want to help. So yeah, that's amazing. It's an amazing story and an amazing reason to want to do what you're doing or to be doing what you're doing. So do, do, do you have, um, is it an online, um, your program or the five things you're doing, your mission? Is it something you do online or is it offline? Do you use what parts of the world um, do you reach out to with all these programs? Yeah, so we're based on the west coast of the U.S., um, but we have chapter or school clubs across the U.S., and then we do international work with our partners, like in Kenya and in Guinea, potentially starting work in Somalia, and then we had a pilot program in South India, so we've done quite a bit of international work, and we're trying to scale that up by providing resources for our on-the-ground partners in those countries, um, because we believe everything should be community-driven and community-led. So that's why we have our school clubs and they're the ones that deliver to their local homeless shelters or their schools that are in low income areas or to different types of organizations. So the direct service part is um, in person because we have to deliver the products to the people that need them. But especially because of COVID, a lot of the other things have gone virtual. Okay. So um, our art campaign will be physical, but right now we're working on art campaigns that are digital. And then our advocacy work, it slowed down a bit because our school clubs can't necessarily advocate for policies on their campus because they're not on campus, they're virtually learning. So that slowed down a bit. Um, our education work, um, we're helping a partner in Australia right now um, that we're gonna distribute curriculum to. And then we also distribute our curriculum to our school clubs to for them to visit local middle schools and high schools to deliver the curriculum and present it. And then community engagement is basically all online. So we have a book club with two other partners that we've been doing for months now. And we have a great online community on social media, especially on Instagram. And then we're expanding our website to be more resourceful past um, advocacy and to include actual information about different diagnoses, diagnoses related to periods like endometriosis. Okay. Wow. Do you have like any age uh, groups that you focus on? So some people will just focus on like 18 to 34. Do you focus on just anyone who has had a period from then on to maybe people that ha are experiencing menopause? Or do you have any specific um, age group that you or demographic that you focus on with your programs? Yeah, we're, we're happy to do services or 
you know, product deliveries or outreach to anyone who has a period. Um, there's no specific age group. Um, I believe that our online community might be a little bit younger and the people that we do direct service work with might be a little bit older, um, but that's still mixed. And we still, we just try to be there for anyone who needs support. Okay. You mentioned earlier about um, period freedom, which is one of the things you do. Can you tell me a bit more about that and what that entails? Yeah, so I know in the US we use menstrual equity and overseas, like in the UK, the popular phrase is period poverty. Yeah. Um, and both of those relate to um, lack of access to menstrual products, mm-hmm. um, which is important. And everyone who menstruates should have access to menstrual products. But this is something I bring up to my staff a lot and to other people I talk to is that we could give everyone who menstruates menstrual products for the rest of their lives, whether it's sustainable or disposable, but we still want to have solved a core issue of this repression or oppression. And a lot of it has to do with the stigma and the structural systems that uphold the stigma. So things like racism or sexism or transphobia, um, I, I classism, these play a large part in why there's inequities in our system. So we, as a staff, came together last year, but we ended up publicly announcing it this year, this phrase called menstrual freedom. So it's um, paralleled to uh, reproductive justice, which um, was founded by Black women activists in the US, I believe. So it's parallel to that. And it's more looking at like a systems approach to inequity. And basically menstrual freedom means is, is advocating for the abolition of any social, political, or economic system that prevents a person from experiencing their period in an empowered and dignified way. So any system like a racist institution or a sexist institution or a transphobic institution, we don't support. And we, obviously you have to work within the system occasionally because there are, there's a need for temporary solutions, but we're also working on longer term solutions that address the actual root causes of um, this inequity. That's actually interesting because one of the things I thought about asking you was about um, the, I don't know if, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, we talk a lot about tampon tax um, where, you know, people, they, basically tampons are still seen as a luxury product which means that they are still taxed and um you know this there has been the fight against this or you know to get rid of that i think some i'm not sure if it's wales but i think they managed to get rid of the tampon tax so is this something that is it one of the things so when you were talking about you know fighting systems like that that um to ensure period freedom is that one of the things you think about is it interesting to you is it a problem that you'd like to also solve yeah I think tampon tax more falls into menstrual inequity because it's still it's still access to products like that's the focus um but we've done like a very small amount of work on tampon tax and we kind of shifted from that because there are incredible organizations whose primary focus is that um like period equity so if they're doing great work, we don't need to repeat their work. Yeah. Um, we can support it, but we don't need to repeat it. So we've kind of left that to other incredible um, leaders and organizations in this space. Okay. So what would you say is like the hardest or most difficult part of your job or what you do with operation period? 
I think it's just like the virtual component. Um, we, we are virtual outside of COVID. Um, we have virtual staff meetings once a week and stuff. And it's hard that I don't get to hang out with my staff in person. Um, and we get to know each other because we'll have like bonding nights and stuff like that, but it's not the same. And then I think on the other side of that, it's also really hard to not have in-person conversations all the time with the people that we're supporting. Yeah. Um, like occasionally we'll get a message or something being like, Hey, this is really helpful or this is really cool, but we aren't interacting with them, which is why I think our virtual events in the community engagement space where we hold panels or round tables are so important because we get to have conversations with people who are affected as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it just really um, opens the ability to, it opens the conversation a lot more. Yeah, I think every one of us, initially, we all loved the idea of working virtually. We were like, oh my God, we can do this from home. But now I think everyone's kind of missing that connection with, mm -hmm. you know, other people. And, but I think there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel now that, you know, many of the countries are having vaccines now and a lot of people are going back to work. So hopefully maybe you'll be able to hang out with your, your team again, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is our team is spread across the U S in the UK. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Asia, so I'd have to make a lot of flights to see them. <laughs> see them, okay. So you might have to stick with virtual then. Yeah, for a while. So for um, I'm interested a bit more. Obviously, I'm I'm biased because I have endometriosis, and most of my community have endometriosis, and um, you know. I sometimes like I had a conversation with a nurse who is also an advocate um, and she was saying how obviously in the US, in the UK, in Australia is terrible. Um, people's access, um, like you were mentioning earlier, to healthcare, And one of the ones that I'm really, you know, I care about a lot is endometriosis. I care about a lot of women's health conditions, but endometriosis is personal to me. So I wanted to ask, is there any for your conversations and your, you know, with the, your, your users or people who you relate with, like, do you have um, conversations about actual conditions such as endometriosis and, you know, figure out, I don't know, maybe like questions or participation workshops and things like that. Is that something that you sometimes is part of what you do? Because I know you do a lot of education as well and you deal with access to products, but is it is this something that you deal with as well? Yeah, so two things on that. The first is in our education curriculum, we do talk about different diagnoses and mm -hmm. um, conditions that are related to periods because um, we deliver that curriculum to middle schools and high schools through our school clubs. And um, it's really important that that's part of health education and that they're not just like, oh yeah, some people have periods moving on. Yeah. Um, but they actually talk about the conditions that can come with it so that they're able to identify it earlier on in life and not suffer many years before understanding what's happening with their body. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that we do, which is online is as I'm sure, you know, menstrual hygiene day is May 28th of every year because periods are an average five days, every 28 days. Yeah. So um, many people came together years ago to name May 28th menstrual hygiene day. And in the past, we celebrated the entire week as menstrual hygiene week as an organization, because we wanted to host several events and they couldn't all fit in one day. But last year with our partners, 
we named the entire month of May International Period Month in honor of Menstrual Hygiene Week. And we held over 50 events virtually with 20 partners. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. And we got to, we, a lot of our events were Instagram lives or Zoom panels. And we definitely incorporated people with different conditions like fibroids or endometriosis, PMDD, PMS. We tried to talk to an array of people. We talked to doctors. We talked to people who were incarcerated, who didn't have access to menstrual products. We talked to people who were formerly unhoused. So we tried to get um, as many perspectives as possible through our events. Um, and the entire month, like it was guaranteed that you were going to have at least one event that day um, throughout the month of May. So that was really cool. And we're celebrating International Period Month again in a couple of weeks. So um, that's amazing. Now that I didn't, I didn't know about it last year. So I missed out on that. But this year, I'll make sure I'm a part of it. Um, yeah. How is it just like, it's just on your socials, right? Where people know about it, because I like to also tell people, I'm not sure. I don't think I saw it a lot on my network. So I would love to definitely be just be part of that and see how it goes. Yeah, so yeah, on our Instagram, it's just at operation period and we update that daily, but our website's getting updated in soon, um, very soon. And that will have the schedule of all of our events that you can register for and stuff like that. Okay. And when you were speaking earlier, you mentioned your partners. So are these partners organizations or are they people that, you know, care about your mission and want to be part of it? Yeah, we have um, incredible partners like Code Red Co. for the Menstruator, um, Women's Relief Initiative, uh, so many other partners. Um, and then we also work with individuals like Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, who coined the term menstrual equity. Mm. Um, so we work with an array of individuals and, or, and organizations to best support the communities that are in need. Okay. Amazing, amazing work. So I have two final questions for you. <laughs> the first one is, or well, the second to the last question is for people who somehow get access to this podcast episode and listen, what would you say to people who feel like they don't have access in terms of they don't have education and they're struggling on their own to figure things out when you come or the you know feel the stigma when it comes to periods what would you say to people like that yeah um I usually get asked the other question which is how can people support people yeah that's my final question yeah yeah yeah, I'm happy to answer as well but um I think for people who don't feel like they have community I think organizations like yours are really helpful and um, incredible in that way because it is creating community, especially during a pandemic where we feel really disconnected from a lot of people. Um, There are a lot of resources online that I'm sure you have on your website and stuff as well um, that can be helpful. Um, But also um, there are, for example, like I know Days for Girls has chapters across the world where they make reusable pads and stuff like that. So there, now that, I mean, we're in 2021, there are so many period organizations um, in so many different countries. There is most likely one near you where you could reach out to them and um, join their community or get services from them, or they might be able to fund part of your healthcare costs. Um, It, it really depends and I can't speak for other organizations, but I know that there are a lot of communities out there who are doing really incredible work 
Um, it's just about finding them and reaching out to them. Okay. Thank you so much. And my final question, like you preempted, was going to be for people who feel like they have the power, they have the voice and the, well, maybe, you know, they have some kind of power or the voice. What would you say or how would you say, how can they help people? How can they amplify, you know, the voices and raise more awareness? What can they do? Yeah, I think like in terms of destigmatizing periods, you know, being honest and open about your periods, for example, on social media can be really impacting and it doesn't need to be graphic by any means. It could just be like, my period was really hard today. And people might think that even that's graphic, but it's just being honest with your community about what your um, situation is like. Mm -hmm. And then I think for people who don't menstruate, two of the easiest things you can do is one, have have conversations with people, you know, who do menstruate and get to know what their cycle is like, what their conditions are like, obviously be respectful and don't just ask a random stranger that, but um, (laughs) like if it's someone you're in community with and you feel like it's appropriate to ask, um, or if they're already sharing it because they've been a vocal advocate, that's, it's not unreasonable to ask questions and get to know, but also you can Google that as well and get to know the conditions that relate to periods. But I think the easiest thing you can do to destigmatize periods if you don't menstruate is when someone makes a terrible joke about periods or period conditions, period related issues. I think the easiest thing you can do is not laugh because that doesn't validate the joke. It yeah. makes them think twice about why they said it. And they're less likely to repeat that joke after you don't laugh. Yeah. So I literally in that situation, doing nothing is like the most beneficial thing you can do. That's amazing. I love that. I really love that. Thank you so much, Manju. I really enjoyed having this conversation, getting to know what Operation Period um, does and hoping that we see more of you in the very near future. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, let us know on Instagram and Facebook. You can also join our community on Health Unlocked and ask any questions or share your stories. If you want to get involved in any way, please visit www.operationperiod.org to learn more. The link will be available in the show notes. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe to this podcast. If you also have any questions to ask or topics you would like to be discussed, feel free to send an email to info at notdefinedbyendo.com. Till next time, remember, you are not defined by endo.